This is John the Viking Mauser with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Today my guest is James Fuller. You might know him from Strongman Archaeology on Facebook. Um, how are you doing today, James? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Uh, doing great. I'm uh, Actually, I'm re- doing this um, from Indiana today. Um, so, not in the usual uh, secret location. I'm in a secret location in Indiana today. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, most of most of our listeners probably know you from uh, Facebook and and uh, the Strongman Archaeology group, um, and some of the crazy uh, old time lifts that you do. Um, right. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about how? you got started into all this. When was the first time that um, you got into uh, weight training or strength training or any of that? Uh, I would have been probably 12 or 13. It was about 35 years ago. Uh, I had always been active as a kid. I'd always done a lot of manual labor. And uh, I started splitting wood by hand when I was seven, mowing lawns and, and uh, raking leaves and shoveling snow out of driveways. Just, you know, you just grew up working as a kid back in the Back in the 70s and 80s, uh, developed a back problem, and I knew that uh, it needed to be stronger, and I started lifting to make my back stronger. Out of ignorance, I didn't realize that if you made it stronger, that injury would oftentimes go away, and so my injury went away, but I still liked to lift, so I just kept lifting. Yeah, and uh, that's not a common um, uh, fix for those things anymore. Um, you know, today if somebody has a back issue, it's they they would avoid they would run away from that. <laughs> no, yes, yes. Well, I it's not that I was very smart. It's that I just thought, well, I want to be able to work, and so I want to be stronger. If I'm going to have uh, both my parents had back problems, so I figured, well, if I lift weights, I'll be stronger, and I'll be strong enough to deal with this pain. I didn't think the pain was going away. I'm not some prodigy that knew what he was doing. I just simply said, if I get stronger, then I can keep working. That's That was my only motivation, my only goal. I didn't realize that after a while of training and getting stronger, the back pain went away. That was completely by ignorance. Do you, uh, do you know what the actual injury was back then, or...? I think I just had a, I think I just had a, an alignment problem with my hip and my lower back. Okay. I'm going to say it was most likely the quadratus lumborum is probably the issue. That's okay. a common issue. You know, it connects from the crest of the ilium uh, to all four, uh, all five lumbar vertebrae, and it's the only muscle that connects to the sides of the spine. And so when it's kinked you're going to have a problem with your hip and your lower back. And that's what I was having a problem with. It was giving me sciatica issues. And uh, so basically I feel, I feel it was the QL. And so I've, I've become very uh, adamant about training a lot of side bends, uh, side presses. I do a lot of work for the quadratus laborum. I think that's been a, a big help to me. And I noticed that a lot of the old-time strongmen weren't scared about having a thick, strong waist. Right. You know, so it wasn't wasn't uncommon for some of these guys to be doing side bends with 200 pound dumbbells or more you know not a big deal for them yeah yeah um so you went from uh 
I'm guessing that was just like basic, very basic strength training when you started then? Yes, it was, uh, I'd gotten a uh, uh, diversified product for DP. I'd gotten their weight set. They had a little booklet with Bruce Randall. Bruce Randall's that guy. He'd won the NABA universe, but he was the famous guy that had gotten up to 401 pounds, bulked up 401, and then dieted down. And dieted down to like 230, 220, and won the Mr. Universe. Oh, yeah. uh, there's pictures of him doing a good morning with like 780 or something like that of 401 pounds. And <laughs> in the booklet, it, it, I didn't have an uncle or an aunt that had competed in weightlifting or powerlifting. So I didn't know you, you only did deadlifts. So I did deadlifts, I did hack lifts, I did Jefferson lifts, because that's what the booklet had in it. I did everything that was in the booklet. There's a bunch of old exercises. So I've been doing hack lifts and Jefferson lifts as long as I've been doing deadlifts. I've been doing them over 35 years, you know, oh, or wow. about 35 years. So I don't have a hang-up. I can pull 600 on any of those, you yeah. know. I pulled, what did I pull the other day? 550 on an axle on a Jefferson lift. Man. <laughs> Yeah, that that's pretty impressive. Not not a lot of people have been doing those for uh, thirty days, let alone thirty years. <laughs> yeah, it was just out of ignorance. I didn't I didn't have anyone going, "Hey kid, we only do deadlifts. We don't do none of that other stuff." You yeah. know, and it kind of had a big influence on me because I'm like, okay, the bar's in front of me on a deadlift, the bar's behind me on a hack lift, and on a Jefferson lift. And on a Jefferson lift, the bar was between my legs. Yeah. So I just thought you were supposed to use a barbell any way you could. Yeah, well, yeah, so, somewhere along the lines, I think some people lost that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I think competitive, competitive sport has ruined lifting, a lot of the benefits of lifting, you know, definitely. When, you, when you're just training to lift more weight, you forget about development, and you're right. just worried about lifting more weight. And I think that's a problem. Yeah, I do too. I think um, uh, if you're getting paid, you know, sure, you can go that route. You can give up certain stuff. You know, maybe you can specialize. Maybe you can develop certain imbalances, whatever, to win. You know, if if you're gonna if you're gonna get paid for it, sure. You know, do whatever you need to do. Right. Um, Unfort yes, Unfortunately, that's trickled down, and a lot of um, unpaid amateurs are uh, specializing in, um, you know, it, it causes problems. It develops issues, uh, you know, not just within the community, but with that, with that individual person. It opens up a, a gateway for injury and a whole slew yep. of stuff, and I, I think it's, it's a shame that um, – that's happened, but I don't know how to mitigate it because that's kind of the nature of sport. Everybody's going to emulate the, the people that are getting paid. So, what do you do? <laughs> yep. Well, I'm trying to. That's why Kirsten and I set up. My girlfriend Kirsten Moore and I set up a Kama Sutra Barbell. We do seminars and we teach the old time lifts. Uh, we specifically teach the ones that you you will get stronger, but you'll also increase your mobility at the same time. And so it's not based on any kind of competitive aspect. It's just mm -hmm. good, solid lifts that keep you moving and keep you strong and supple 
Uh, we've noticed with people, it, it reduces their warm-up time. Like Kirsten went from having to have a half-hour warm-up to just going in, doing some light sets, and she was ready to go. And got rid of a bunch of problems she was having with shoulders and carpal tunnel and so on. So that's what her and I are doing is trying to trying to take the old lifts because athletes did those 100 years ago. We used to used to have a lot of great exercises for athletes, and then we got rid of them for some reason. So we're trying to bring it back because if you look at it, People like George Hackenschmidt and Arthur Saxon, they were both world champion wrestlers. You know, they were really good athletes who also lifted weights. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and, you know, wrestling requires a little bit of a mobili mobility. You know, you can't be stiff in wrestling. Right. And uh, so that's what we're doing to try to try to bring back something that's more specific to people. Most people don't want to be a competitive powerlifter or a competitive weightlifter. Uh, or competitive, uh, they, they're not looking to be a high-level competitor or a strong-level competitor. Right. Though I think strongman definitely has a lot to offer the regular everyday person because of so much variety. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, well, I think strongman has a lot to offer a person uh, just because of the type of training it is, but also um, because of the stuff that's used. You know, you can you can literally use any you can pick up anything. I think that's that's very yes. convenient for the uh, the garage warriors. I mean, you can stash it full of whatever. You, you probably already have all the stuff to get strong at your house if you're just willing to look at it as such. Yes. You know. Yes. 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 Um, it's interesting to go from the perspective before strongman was popular. You know, back in uh, powerlifting, you. They would say deadlift heavy once every seven to ten days. Strongman comes along, and it seems like they deadlift at least twice a week, if not three times a week. And they can go to a powerlifting meet, and, and they, they're usually the best deadlifters in a meet. Right. Yep. You know, practice makes better. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, and, and I think intelligently doing that is a, is a thing. You know, you could certainly deadlift... Uh, <laughs> with some crazy programming two to three times a week and not get any better. But as long as you have some kind of concept of right. what you're doing, it's right. going to be uh, at least yes. somewhat beneficial. Um, yep. Uh, in fact, a good example of that is, um, are you familiar with Steve Justa? Yep. Uh, he wrote um, uh, Rock, Iron, and Steel and, ma and maybe another book or two. Um I ran uh, one of his singles programs uh, a while back. Um, I had torn my bicep and it was really limited in what I could do, so I did one of his three lifts. Um, you basically did three lifts every day, the same three lifts every day, and it was all singles. And um, I saw some pretty good uh, benefits from that. And, and conventional, conventional powerlifting or something would say, oh, you can't deadlift every day. But, but I did, and I'm still here. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. It's you gotta you gotta make some decisions for yourself in life. It's okay. Uh, you gotta decide. You know, if you want it, go get it. And when I'm when I'm training someone, or if Kirsten's training someone, we're as much trying to figure out the mentality of it. What's gonna fit this person mentally? Mm -hmm. I mean, some people like sets of sixes and eights better than threes. Some people like fours and fives, and it's just. You know, that's just how some people are, you know. Um, you got to work with people. You really got to, you can't just tell them what to do. I mean, if the hard truth is you need more work, 
on your squat depth, then that's the truth. You need more work in your squat depth. But I think there's a big mental game, and you have to figure out what works for you. I mean, you and I can take a program and give it to 10 different people, and it's going to hit those 10 different people differently. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. you gotta, yeah. you got to help, help people think for themselves, and people have got to realize that a program is only as successful as much as you can figure out how much of it works for you. Yeah, you know? for sure. So uh, after your initial, um, you know, uh, lifting and, and you started doing all the, the hack squats and the, uh, or the hack lifts and the Jefferson uh, lifts, when did you really, when was the first time you were like, wait a minute, nobody else is doing this or, or you realized there was something else there? When was that, when was that moment? I pretty much always trained alone. I had a training partner that, that we grew up together, but that's, you're just training and you're not, you know, you're just, you grew up together. You're not really thinking too much about anything. You're just training and having fun. I really couldn't afford to go to the gym much at all. And so I always just had a, a little weeder bench and some plates and a bar. And I just always trained at home. And when I needed more weight, I would buy more weight. Um, I could tell in the magazines because you look. Because remember, I'm old now. Back when I when I was around, when I really was getting into it, you only got bodybuilding magazines. There was no powerlifting. There was uh, no weightlifting magazines, powerlifting magazines for you to buy. Uh, and really, strength wasn't like it is today. It's very acceptable to train to get stronger, and it wasn't that acceptable back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were a powerlifter or even more so a weightlifter, you were really on the fringe of the lifting community. Of which the lifting community is already on the fringe, but you're on the fringe of the fringe, you know, uh, because of Arnold Schwarzenegger and his popularity. Bodybuilding was the most accepted way to go about doing things. And so I could tell in the bodybuilding magazines and I like go visit my cousin at his gym. I could tell nobody else was doing hack lifts or Jefferson lifts, but they had a hack lift machine. So I'm sure a lot of people thought it was the same thing, mm-hmm. but, uh, I don't think I really realized just how different what I was doing was probably until about 15 years ago. I just, I mean, you're at home doing your own thing mm-hmm. and you realize that maybe they're not doing what they're, what you see in the magazines, but um, you also know that you, you got to figure stuff out for yourself. I mean, you, the pros would say in the magazine, you got to figure out exercises that work for you. So you don't really think about how different you are as much as you're thinking about well, okay, the, the, the big guys are saying you got to figure stuff out, so that's what I'm home doing. Mm-hmm. But I think when I started seeing how much I lifted, like when people see me lift 500 or 600 on a hack lift or a Jefferson lift, and to me it's no big deal. I don't even think about it. And then people mention it, and of course I don't use a belt, and that freaks people out. <laughs> and uh, so I guess that's hit me the last few years when I started doing that, but I, I just don't think about it. I guess, I'm sorry I'm giving you a horrible answer, but it's probably only the last five or six years that I really realized just how different my training has been, you know. I always thought people did what I did. You find answers, you want more answers. I'm sure you've had this happen. You get a question answered, and you've got to give you ten more questions, so now you're going to give it more, you know. And uh, so I found out that most people don't think a lot about their training. They seem kind of, either they're, they seem to be happy or they've just resigned themselves that this is as good as it gets. It's kind of like being in a relationship where 
you're too broke and you're you're too tired to get out of the relationship, so you just stay there anyways. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I, <clears throat> I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people um, they see what everybody's doing, what's acceptable. They kind of fall into that. They do those things. They just kind of go through the motions. Sure. Yeah, I think sure. that 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 is pretty. Uh, now that I think about it, that, I think that's pretty common. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, you yeah, mentioned. I think people should. I think people should demand more from their trainers and coaches. Yeah. I think uh, when when you got to take the car to the mechanic, you're at the mercy of the mechanic if you don't know anything about cars. Right. It's the same thing with training, but I I really think people should be demanding a lot more from their coaches and trainers. That, that your coaches and trainers should be helping you get stronger and stay mobile period yeah. you know you should be able to get a lot out of the work you're putting into the gym it should be enhancing the quality of your life you know yeah yeah oh i agree um yeah sometimes sometimes i actually i train a lot of people i get uh i'll get texts or messages and they'll say why am i doing this you know mobility stuff or why am i <laughs> and it's like nobody oh, else yeah. is doing it why am i doing it and i'm like i give them a similar answer you know it's like well you're doing it because it's going to make your life a lot easier down the road um but yeah, yes but but it's yeah. so uncommon that now that people when you put it in people question it you know <clears throat> yeah i just uh i'll just show them how to i'll show them how to do a split and then i'll do a side split and then they don't argue with me anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll start doing that. 265 pounds. I'm, I'll be 47 in November. So, you know, probably one of the most flexible piece people I know. So mm. I'll just say, well, this is why I think we should do it. Yeah. And, and that would be a good enough answer for me. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yes. Um, so and I, I've helped I've helped people learn how to do splits through weightlifting exercises, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it's it's pretty simple once you figure it out. The weights can actually make you as flexible as you want to be, mm -hmm. you know. It's just signaling, you're just signaling the body to become open and stay open. That's all. It's yeah. not a big deal. Yeah, I think that's um, uh, something that uh, a strong people um, run into a problem with. They try to. So I would say most people, when they lift, people will, and somebody that's been lifting for a while, not a, not a beginner, somebody that's been lifting for a while, um, they can come in and they can suffer through, you know, some crazy 20 rep squat thing, right? You know, like a super squats type. They, they can handle that. And mentally they can deal with that. And then it's like mentally they can't deal with stretching afterwards. <laughs> and it's just it's brutal right, right. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like they don't want to do it and uh but i think a lot of the reason for that is when you've been lifting for a while and you haven't been doing anything really extra to keep your mobility up you get really strong and then your muscles will resist most of what is commonly done for mobility like if if i can do rdls with 405 reaching down and touching my toes probably isn't really going to stretch my hamstring all that much. My body weight Correct. isn't my body weight isn't enough to do that, you know? I mean if Correct. if I can lift my body weight plus 400 pounds for reps bending over 
it's probably not going to work. Um, so I think it's it's vastly important for somebody who's strong, or, or if you plan on getting strong, to to learn how to let the weights keep that mobility up and improve upon it, because that's really the only way that you're going to be able to do that later down the road. these guys that get so precise with their movements it's almost like they're moving on a smith machine mm-hmm. you know and the problem with that is it's very efficient but if you don't if something happens and you need to move a little bit mm-hmm. it's disastrous they miss the lift or they get injured you know so it's it's where overuse injuries come from is yeah. from being too precise with your movements not enough variety yeah you know and to me the the, the pain you start getting in your joint from doing something too often in the same manner is, is kind of like an allergic reaction. When you've eaten too much of a certain food, your body won't let you eat it anymore because it needs a break. And I think that's what happens when you don't give it enough variety. The joint will kick up and say, okay, you're going to give me a different angle. You're wearing me out here. I need a break. If you're going to keep doing curls, use a different grip, get out of the squat rack, whatever you got to do, but do your curls differently. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, so you mentioned um, a moment ago that you lift a lot of the time uh, without a belt. And, um, Correct. Now, now that ideology is picking up a little bit of steam recently within the last year. But prior to that, that's been a big no-no. People, people will flip out if they see you lift, lifting without a belt. Um, what, are, what are your oh, thoughts yeah. on that? Uh, it actually came from an old powerlifter, Fred Hatfield, back in the 80s. Uh, Fred Hatfield had a body weight of 255, and I believe he was 44 years old, squatted a bit over 1,020 pounds mm-hmm. in a full knee. And he had said that he didn't like using a belt and didn't recommend a belt until you hit about 80 to 85%. Mm-hmm. of your max and so that's what I started doing and then it just kind of morphed into why well, wear it at all um, and also there's been a certain functionality for me I I don't want to be a superhero in the gym but I'm out in the yard and I gotta move a rock or go change a tire in a car but I, I gotta go put my belt on to go change a tire in the car no that just doesn't seem doesn't make sense to me so I want what's happening in the gym to improve what happens outside the gym. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if 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 not wearing a belt or not using wrist straps or not using knee wraps means it's going to take me three or four more workouts to get where I was going, well, I'm not planning on quitting anytime soon. I'm going to do those three or four workouts anyways. So why not just take my time, go a little bit slower, and what it's going to do is it's going to make sure the intensity stays in a good range. You start using belts, straps, knee wraps, you can up the weight, which is upping the intensity, right. maybe more than you're ready. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, as Louis Simmons says. So maybe it's okay to hold back a little bit, maybe wait for other stuff to catch up, wait for the grip to catch up, wait for the, the torso or the the the, uh, the core to catch up to what you're doing. I think maybe that's not a bad thing if it takes you another two or three more workouts, which is more volume, it's more practice with those lifts. It just seems like a smarter way to go about it. That's yeah, I agree. I, I didn't use a belt for, man, 
well, I've been lifting for about 20 years and, and competing for about 12 or 13. And I would say the first time I seriously used a belt was maybe three years ago. And, um, and I've probably only used it in training Man, maybe, maybe 10 times. That's pushing it. Maybe 10 times um, in three years of using it. Uh, and then I, don't, I use it in competition mostly. You put it on in competition to get that little bit of a, of a bump in the competition. And Yeah, but I, I rarely ever use it in training at all. Um, and, and if I do, I kind of use it as, a, um, as an overloading tool, you know. Um, you know, to lift a little more weight, get a little bit of a boost out of it. And, and I really try to keep in mind, like, hey, like you said, the intensity is going to be up here. Um, this is going to bang me up more than ha had I not yes. worn it. You have to prepare for that kind of recovery. You have to prepare for that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm, yes, we were just talking about that tonight. Kirsten and I were talking about how people don't plan on those extra intensity mm -hmm. situations. They, they just they just go, oh, I'll do some drop sets. Or I'm going to really tighten up that belt and go up and wait on my squats tonight. Right. You get, you got to pay for that. Yeah. That doesn't come free. No. Nope. And, you know. And yeah. just just people don't. You and I both know how easy it is. You and I have both experienced lifters. And, and you and I can easily fall into that trap if we're not paying attention. Oh, yeah. It's easy to, to get excited about lifting more weight. I mean, who doesn't like lifting more weight? I mean, I've never come home from the gym going, ah, crap, I put 10 kilos or 25 pounds on my squat. Crap, what a crappy night tonight. We don't do that. So it's easy. You know, you get that. Yeah, I mean, I'm old, but I still get that in my, my head that I'm going to destroy that weight. I still have to go, now, wait a minute. No, no, you still want to work out this week, right? You know, you gotta you got to hold back. It's okay to hold back. It's okay to, to, to account for that intensity, you know? But you're being smart about it. Like, use it for a meet? Great. Use it for a meet. Use it for overload. Um, I was training with a, in a weightlifting gym down uh, a few, couple towns down from me. And uh, they would wear a belt when they're trying to hit a PR squat or a PR front squat. Fine. That's a great way to use it. You know, it was not a regular part of their training. Right. You know, there's a specific time for it. And that's just using your head and being smart, you know. Yeah, I think that's a key thing, too, kind of there, that um, a lot of people don't really train. They're just testing themselves weekly. <laughs> and there, there's a big difference well, between training and testing yourself, and, and a lot of people fall into yes. that trap. <clears throat> well, Ed Cohn had a great post. This Was it this week? Uh, Ed Cohn had a great post about everyone's trying to post something awesome for Instagram. He goes, I think, a, I think a set of five that's part of your routine, I think that's exciting to see. I would like to see that. He's like, look, I've only got so, you've only got so many singles in your body. Your yeah. body has only so many max efforts. Save it for when it counts. Right. And uh, it's, and he would know. He's Ed Cohn. Right. I mean, come on. Right, right. Yeah, you're not <laughs> you <know>? arguing with him. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think... Um, you know, the belt, uh, and, and this applies to anything, whether it's um, a belt or a suit or knee wraps or rocket packs or whatever they're using. Um, it's a tool, and, and you have to treat it as a, as a tool. You know, um, 
there are certain times and places to use each tool uh, within your training. And a lot of the old time, uh, actually Ed Cohen's a really good example. Uh, in his book, I think it was called The Man, the Myth, the Legend, it has a uh, kind of uh, a training template, maybe a, maybe a, a 12 week training template um, set up. And it's like the first few weeks it says, no suit, no belt, no wraps. And then as he goes, he kind of adds a couple things in. And then um, towards the end of the training cycle, uh, you know, he's got the suit on and the belt on and all that. But if you really look at it over time, the majority of the cycle uh, had very little um, equipment on it. And most of that was, you know, a raw lift or whatever, or unequipped or whatever you want to call it. And he turned out to be the greatest of all time. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's funny how a lot of things are, are meant to be, supposedly, it's marketed for our safety. And uh, it's, it's funny because so many things that are marketed for our safety are actually uh, just marketing. I mean, uh, you take squat stands and power racks, that's supposed to be for safety. Because the Steinborn was considered too dangerous. Well... I have never found anyone that will tip more weight on their back than they should, because they won't. You, I have to lean on people to put more weight on the bar to steinboard it, okay? But how many how many knuckleheads have you and I seen on YouTube videos, Instagram videos, in the gym, mm -hmm. who have loaded up too much on the power rack yep. and do a quarter squat with four plates or five plates, okay? So... Where's the safety of the power rack? I don't see it because it's allowing people to load way more weight than they should. It mm -hmm. happens all the time. The bench press you used to lean on a, on a sawhorse and you would reach behind you on the floor, pull the weight over, and then press. Mm -hmm. Well, gee, I don't know why the old timers were so good at pull-ups back in the day. I don't know why. Maybe it's because they were pulling over before they pressed. And if anything happened, what did you do? You put it back down where you got it from. Right. But were you pulling over four plates? Were you pulling over three plates? Probably not, you know. And talk about athletic, you're doing a pullover and then press. Put it back down, mm -hmm. pull over, and press. Or you could just work all your presses or just work pullovers. Yeah. But people die every year on the bench press, even with spotters. Because mm -hmm. if the spotter doesn't know what they're doing, they're getting their, their throat crushed. Yep. But it's supposed to be for safety when actually it's allowing people to load way more weight than they should. That's never going to happen on a pullover and press. It just can't. So there's many things out there. Uh, belts and knee wraps came because of the sport of powerlifting. It was designed for the strongest of the strong. It wasn't necessarily designed for regular gym goers. Right. But guess what? Regular gym goers now have belts and knee wraps. Right. Yeah, you know, because somebody's got to make money off making these knee wraps and belts. So we got to tell people you can lift more if you wear that. Well, yeah, you can, but is it what you need? Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think um, uh, danger, or I don't even want to say danger. I want uh, risk. I think that risk, in sure. and of itself, um, ironically, makes things safer. Because if, if you look at, let's take a Steinborn, right? You can look at a Steinborn yeah. and you can say, that looks risky. And when you say that looks risky, your, your next thought, if you're going to attempt it, is um, maybe I should be careful. 
So Correct. you're going to be safer because it's risky. When when you look at that Correct. spot, when you look at the weight in the rack and you think, well, this is okay. I'll put in more blade sword. You don't see it as risky. And by not looking at it as risky, that's where the danger comes in. And um, so I would argue a, a, the two, there's not much uh, in the way of danger that, that's much different between the two. It's just how you perceive it, how you look at it, and how you go about it. <clears throat> if, you, uh, if you don't respect either one, that's when they're going to be uh, dangerous. He's always working, yes. Gravity's always working. <laughs> yeah, you have to respect... Um, you have to respect both methods and see where the problem is, you know. Sure. Um, it's just like wearing a helmet. If you wear a helmet on a bike, you're probably going to ride faster. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is it, yes. Is it enabling you? You know, are you respecting it or are you letting it say, well, I got a helmet on. Let's, let's just see how fast I can go, you know? Yeah. Yep. No, you're right. You're very right. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. Uh, <laughs> Plus, I, I like the functionality of trying to pull over a bar and press mm -hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're not going to have shoulder as much shoulder issues as someone who only bench presses. Because mm -hmm. you never allow your shoulders to get tight. If you're doing a Steinborn or an Arthur lift, your shoulders don't get tight. You're working the side muscles. Uh, and if, if you're working with a weight that's more well within your range, chances are your performance is going to be better. You're going to do more reps. You're going to do more sets. The intensity will be lower. Your chance of injury is going to be less because you're using less weight. You're using a more appropriate weight. Mm -hmm. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think that's uh, very important, and I think more people need to talk about it. Um, in 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 all the strength sports, people need to talk about this stuff and um, make it a lot more common knowledge because a lot of the guys at the top, you can tell. That, that they're doing some of this, but they aren't talking about it. And if they're not talking about it, then the people, it trickles down. They're not, they're not getting that information. Um, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of um, pro strongmen, a lot of world champion power lifters. Um, I've interviewed them on the podcast. I've met them in person. And uh, when you have the chance to talk to them in this capacity, um, they agree with a lot of what we're saying. Um, but they're not giving that knowledge out freely on their Instagram or on their Facebook. So the masses aren't getting this information. And um, I think that's a shame. There should be uh, somehow we need to get that pushed out there to where these top guys are sharing this information with people. Because I can, I can say it all day, but I, I'm not a top guy. So only a small group of people are going to listen to me. I, I'll tell Kirsten often, I go, look, there's two ways to get your message across. Lift big weight or have abs. One or the other or both. If you can do both, that's great. But, you know. If you've got abs, they'll listen to you. They will listen to you if you've got abs. Yeah. doesn't matter what you're saying. You could be talking complete and utter shite. But if you've got abs, people will listen. That's, that's very or true. If you, lift big, if you lift big weight. So I try to... That's why I try to do Steinborns with over 400, and I try to do 600 or more on my hacks and Jeffersons, just so people will pay attention. Or uh, I did a two dumbbells deadlift with three plates on each side of each bar, two barbells, 
you know, just to just to get people, you know, to listen, to watch, you know, see what's possible. You don't need a bunch of fancy equipment. I just yeah, you can get a trap bar, but don't you think it's cool to be able to take two barbells and pick those up instead? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think uh, people have kind of lost that too somewhere along the lines. You know, it's like um, when I first started, I I got started into um, strongman because I was like. Hey, that looks really cool. <laughs> you know, like I want to be able oh, to yeah. to lift that, or you know, it was almost like uh, more feats of strength, that kind of thing. Like, hey, can you pick up two full barbells, one in each hand? You know, <clears throat> it's it's got the pro wrestling appeal. My mm-hmm. my first couple of meets when we started here in Maine in two thousand and eight, my first couple of meets, little kids are coming up to you because they're treating you like. WWE wrestlers, do you know what I mean? Because you're doing some pretty crazy stuff. The spectator appeal is pretty high. I mean, you go to a weightlifting meet, a powerlifting meet, nah, it's exciting, I guess. I mean, I've done it, and it's exciting for me, but from a spectator's point of view, they're like, eh, it's a barbell, I don't know what that weighs. Right. But they see you flip a tire, or pull, uh, a, like uh, one of the meets we had, we used to pull a trolley was part of our was one of our events was having to pull a trolley for distance with people loaded on it that would free people out that is fun to watch (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah i agree i think you know it's cool to be able to do that stuff and it's cool to be able to test yourself um on all those various things and and have the uh physical attributes and the ability to do all these different things and um and i like to do stuff even outside of the norm on that you know um, if it's doing a split and pressing something or, you know, there's kind of multitasking, sure, yeah. um, you know, you see like Bud Jeffries do a lot of that, that kind of stuff really, um, appeals to me for whatever reason. I think it's like, wow, man, you can do all this stuff at once and you can do all this stuff that nobody else is doing. And there's just unlimited possibilities. And I think it's a shame that yes. there's this unlimited possibilities, but people have limited themselves so much. Um, because of the sport or, or for whatever reason. And I think competitive lifting is, is the biggest problem. I think uh, you got so many people benching and squatting and deadlifting like a competitive power lifter, but is that really what they need? Is that really what gives them the most development for their training time? You know, uh, I think weightlifting is great, but I say teach an older style of weightlifting that's easier to do because... The way they do weightlifting now in the Olympics, it's very technical, and it takes a really good coach, and it takes a lot of patience before you even think about hitting big weights. And that, right. that can be hard for people, but if you teach them, the old style was the bar couldn't touch the body, so you just would dip, rip, and rip. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason why the old-time weightlifters were really good at deadlifting. John Davis was the first man to clean and jerk 400 in a meet. He did it in 1951. So one day he's at the gym, and the guys are like, hey, John. How much do you deadlift? He goes, I don't know. I never tried. So at about 230 body weight, he worked up to a 705 deadlift the first time he tried. Wow, 705. <laughs> 705. So, and this would have been back in the 50s. Uh, actually, probably in the 40s at that point. But, so that kind of old school weightlifting, I'll teach people because it's much easier. Yeah. And it gives them... It gives them, they don't need to lift like somebody in the Olympics. They don't need to be that complicated and technical with it. As long as they're safe and not getting hurt, it really doesn't matter. And if they're getting results, 
I don't care what program you're on. If the program you're on is giving you results, you're going to do it. Right. I think um, it's interesting you bring that up because, especially with Olympic weightlifting, right, because the rules have uh, changed so much, um, and a lot of the rules were yes. changed. A lot of the rules were changed uh, for political reasons more so than performance reasons. And uh, political reasons within within the sport, not big scheme political reasons. But uh, they changed the rules based on that more so than performance. They don't change the rules for the lift so that you can lift more as an individual. A lot of times they would say, hey... Uh, our country, this is how we do it, and we're better at this. So we're going to try to change the rules to help our country. And so the way that Olympic weightlifting is done right now is it's the best way to do it based on a method that somebody was doing over over here, right? It, it's not necessarily the best method for every person. It, and it's not necessarily the best method... For sports, a lot of people are using Olympic weightlifting. You know, I'm going to get explosive for soccer, or I'm going to get explosive for basketball. I would argue that the current um, methods used in Olympic weightlifting is not the best method for building explosiveness for any of those sports. It just happens to be the method that they're currently using in the Olympics. That's that's why I teach the split snatch to athletes. Right. Even though it's considered inefficient. Well, yes, it's it might be inefficient for being the best at the Olympics, but I'm training soccer players and football players. Right. I'm not training someone for the Olympics. And you know mm -hmm. what? I know this is going to sound crazy, but a football player, an Olympic uh, football player, a soccer player, basketball player, they need foot speed. Mm -hmm. And a split snatch will give them foot speed. Right. You know? Yeah. And so... And it will be, and I can teach it to them easily without trying to worry about the contact of the bar with the body. I just teach them to dip, dip, grip, and rip, split, get under it. They build, you're going to build a really strong back. The squats will really build a strong legs. You know, it's just, you're going to use your head and you're going to think about what's best for somebody, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I think, um, for political reasons and, and things like that, um, and they decide, the Olympic committees decide how a sport is going to go based on public perception. That's a thing, too. Yes. Um, and they want the lifts to be uh, visually appealing. They want, yes. you, they want a certain amount of finesse. They want it to be graceful. For some reason, they don't want the Olympic lifts to be um, muscled or or to look like they're just muscling it. You hear that all the time in these sports, like he just muscled it, and somehow, for some reason it's like a bad thing. And um, the Olympic committees, they, they have designed, or they have, they have made the rules and changed the sport to where there has to be this finesse and grace to it. But that has nothing to do with who can put the most weight over the head. And I think that we've lost something um, in that capacity when we took out um, like the ability to be able to do a continental, right? Continental doesn't look good. It's not appealing if, if you if you hump the bar up your body and get it there. But I think that's the best way for a lot of people 
to get the most amount of head overweight is the Continentalist. And, um, but you'll never walk into a high school or a college weight room and see a coach teaching any of their people to do that, you know, and that might be a better option for a lot of people. Oh yeah. I think, I think the continental is, is absolutely great. Um, that's the great thing about strongman is they brought the continental back, mm-hmm. you know, because pretty much whenever, whenever you see an axle to the shoulders, you know, it's mm-hmm. a continental. That's what you see, you know, mm-hmm. And it's also when I teach a continental for a strongman competitor, I teach them to split it. I do. I have them do mm-hmm. like a split clean. Yeah. You know, because that way, instead of wrenching your back, because I've done it a bunch trying to continental, and you're just you can only lean back so much. But if you split, you have one leg behind you. You can sink mm-hmm. to the level of that bar. Yeah, yeah. So it can really help you out a lot. And this is where I think. I've, I've competed in strongman for years. I competed in weightlifting. I've competed in powerlifting. I've competed in all-around lifting. I've competed in Highland Games. You know, don't just compete to compete. Take take what you can learn and see if there's an overlap or if something helps something else. You know, mm-hmm. why not? Use your head. Yeah, and I don't think it hurts to, um, you know, like I said, if you're at the top, if you're if you're actually in the Olympics or if you're getting, right, right, yeah, yeah. So, if you're getting paid or something, sure. Like, why would you play with a continental if you're in the Olympic? Like, but if if you're just if you're playing a football, or or if you're just trying to not die of a heart attack, well, you should be doing split cleans and continental clean. Do do it all. You know. I mean. Right. And then if if you don't like one, get rid of it. But try them. You know. Right. Now. <clears throat> If we're teaching, if, if I'm training somebody for athletics, isn't my goal to make them as injury resistant as possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I believe That's so. my first goal. Right. My second goal is strength. So injury resistance is going to be through the old-time movements, and I'm going to make them as strong in those old-time movements as I can. Yeah. And that should take care of them. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly worked for the... Um... For the old timers, uh, you know, I don't. Yeah. A lot of those top dudes, you know, uh, old time guys, I don't ever remember really reading much about any of them getting in severely injured in any way. I'm sure they had sprains and strains here and there, but you don't really hear any stories yeah. of them getting, you know, being on stage doing a show and all of a sudden, you know, grasping their back and falling over or something. You never, you don't hear stories right, like right, that. Right. Um, <clears throat> and uh, but you see that no, and a lot of them s- stayed active right into their 70s and 80s and 90s they kept training yeah. they died with their boots on <clears throat> yeah and you don't see that in strength sports today um, I mean you, you can go to any big meet um, powerlifting strongman or whatever and, and somebody's tearing a bicep somebody's falling over and grasping a body part a- every one of the big shows um, and in none of them, no, I'm not going to say none of them, but a lot of them are not 70 years old down the road and still doing stuff. A lot of them, unfortunately, um, are, are not what they used to be. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, it's, uh, it's a matter of, you know, do you want to, it's better to wear out than rust out. I would at least agree with that. I would just like to wear out a little later down the line <laughs> than by the time I'm 35 or 40, right. you know? Right. I like being my age and lifting as much as I do, and I've got the mobility that I do. And 
and uh, that's that's worth it to me. You know? <clears throat> yeah, I think you got to pick your poison at some point. Are you gonna are you gonna degenerate from, <laughs> from doing too much, or are you gonna degenerate from doing too little? Which one is it? You got to pick one. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I like uh, Mark Bell's. Uh, uh, Mark Bell's F Your Elbow video. Love that video. I could <laughs> yeah. watch that every day. Yeah, it's yeah. a great video. Yep. Because he just lays it right there. There's there's no BS. He just lays it out right there. You know, We're all going to be in a wheelchair. We're all going to be in a nursing home. But what happens between now and then is up to you. What do you want to do? Right. Hey. <laughs> you know? <clears throat> so if, um, for our listeners out there, it, it, if somebody wanted to get started... Um, into some old time type type lifting. W- what do you think um, the best thing for them to do would be to start that journey? The best what? Uh, what do you think the best uh, way for them to start that journey would be? Where do you think they best should get way started? To start? Yeah. Well, I would check out our Karmasutra to Barbell page, because we have a lot of tutorials on how to do a lot of the old-time lifts. Check out Strongman Archaeology, because you'll see a bunch of us. I made Strongman Archaeology years ago, because I uh, I was starting to compete in the old-time lifts. There was no video reference of the old-time lifts. I said, fine, I'll start putting up videos, and people can either say I'm doing it right or wrong, but at least somebody's putting content out there on the old-time lifts. And then, uh, you know, really, you can start out, if you're, if you're starting out in the old-time lifts, you can just start out with a barbell and some plates. Uh, get some really good collars. I usually recommend the Quickly collars. I think he's out of Connecticut. And if you have a, an Olympic bar, Quickly collars are the ones that you can put on. They weigh about a pound apiece. They slip on and they lock on, and they're made out of high-grade steel. And they're, uh, they, you can get the ones that have the lifetime warranty. I've done style points with 430, and those things don't move. Nice. You know, so, so yeah, you can start out with a bar and some plates, probably off Craigslist for now. When you get started, just I would just start with a Craigslist purchase, something cheap. And you can start doing pullover presses on the floor. You can start doing Steinbridge. You can start doing arm lifts and deadlifts. You got, you got more options with just a barbell and plates than most people realize. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah yeah. Um, once you get up to say deadlifting 400 pounds, 500 pounds somewhere in there. Fine, start looking into getting a, maybe a Texas power bar or something that can really handle the abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's it's really basic, simple stuff because you're going to find that with the old-time lifts, you don't need as much isolation. Think about if you say every two weeks you switch up your poles. You say, all right, two weeks I'm going to do hack lifts. Next two weeks, Jefferson's. Next two weeks, I'll do a traditional deadlift. The next two weeks, I'll do a sumo deadlift. Another two weeks, I'll do um, suitcase deadlifts just with a bar on one side of you. And uh, then you come back again, the half loops or two weeks, and you just rotate like that. Your core is getting hit from so many different angles as you pull mm-hmm. that you're not going to need a lot of extra upper back work or extra core work because you're hitting everything from so many different angles. Yeah. So you're really not, you know, don't think you're going to need a bunch of equipment because you're not, so... You know, between it's it's really not much different than than what most basic programs are today. It's just you're not going to be using a power rack or a squat rack or a bench. You're still yeah. going to be doing presses. You're still going to be doing a pullover. You can put pull-ups in there, bent rows, deadlifts. You know, 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're, eating, they're eating the same. It's just their selection of exercises is different. That's all. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I think that's why a lot of people... Uh, it's funny, so if, if you're a powerlifter or a strongman, right, uh, well, a lot of people start with bodybuilding, and, and that's all a lot of isolation, right? Or, or at least on paper, it's a lot of isolation. And, um, and then they'll, they'll kind of get rid of that, and they'll say, ah, I don't want to isolate anymore. I want to do only compound movements. But then, they'll, but then they'll pick, like, three or four compound movements, and that's, that's all they do, and then they get stuck. And then, then when they get stuck, they go... Oh well, I better start isolating things again, and then they start right. training right. like a bodybuilder while they're doing this. But another method for doing that, if you really don't like the isolation, is is to vary the compound movements, um, vary those movements more frequently, because then you can hit those smaller muscle groups from all these different angles, and um, so you can avoid that isolation if you don't want to do it. I think. Also, and I didn't say this, and maybe I should have said this, but the isolation work is good. The problem is most most people just do it to do it. They may not understand that they really need it, or they may need it and don't do it. It's it's really something they haven't taken the time to figure out. Right. The the big problem with isolation work is it's not working with your body. It's not coordinated development. Whereas by doing those different poles I mentioned. Uh, you're taking and developing coordination and body awareness through right. so many different angles. But when you do isolation work, you're only developing a skill at isolation work. It's not really developing a body skill that you're going to use. Right. I think um, every, everything has a place. Um, and I think yes, the, it does. Yes. The, the place, at least the most commonly used place um, in the way that I do it uh, for isolation is... If, if you have a legitimate, serious problem, like a weak link in your yes. chain, and you say, hey, I, I need to isolate my triceps, because in there, and you have a definitive reason. I need to isolate my triceps because, not just because you, you come up with, the, hey, I need to do this, because, um, and then right. you can isolate your triceps. And you only do that, though, until the problem is solved. Correct. And then you Correct. move. And then you move on. <laughs> you don't just mind, you don't yes. mindlessly do tricep press downs for the next ten years. When the problem is oh, yeah. fixed, you move on. <laughs> and yeah. I yeah. Don't, people don't do that anymore. It's like they get they want to they start doing something and they want to do it for the next decade. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Well, and I see people going too heavy on isolation work, and I'm like. Well, wait a minute. If you've got that much energy to put that much intensity into that isolation work, were you were you sandbagging your compound work a few sets ago or what? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because when you're done your compound work, you shouldn't have a lot left over for your isolation work. Very true. Yeah. If you're gonna leave it all on the table, leave it all on the table with your squats, your deadlifts, your push presses, jerks, benches, bent rows, the big stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where the bulk of your energy should be. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, a lot of that's ego driven. They'll, you know, no nobody wants to um, you know, squat 500 pounds for reps 
and then go over and do 30 pound tricep extensions. So they'll try to kill no, themselves. <laughs> they'll try to kill themselves doing it. But I mean, the reality is it, it's secondary. It's assistance. It's, um, it's isolation treated as such. Yeah. It's, it's not meant to be, nobody cares how much you tricep extension, <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's no competition. No. Nobody cares. <laughs> no, no. No, it's like tonight I did a bunch of upright rows. I did a bunch of reps at first, and then I worked heavy. And then I went into, uh, well, I don't like lateral raises. I like to do a full raise, so I'll go all the way up overhead. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'll do sets of eight on that, and I actually wound up uh, just seeing if I could do it with a 35-pound plate once, and I could. You know, I did it by the hub, and that was fun. But the majority of the work is a bunch of reps, feeling it out, getting a flush, getting a pump, um, help break up any scar tissue in there, and to finish off anything that, that I didn't finish off in the upright roll, but it's it's nothing that I'm trying to, you know, set world records on or anything. Right. That was that, that time was for the upright roll, you know. <laughs> it, is there even an upright row world record? Is that is that a thing? <laughs> there probably is. Um, the, the, the all around lifting organization probably has an upright row record. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to look into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. They got a they got a lot of lifts in there. They got a lot of lifts. Yeah. Uh, very but cool. it's it's um it's nice to you know you just it's really is simple. Everyone, anyone listening, anyone that tells you it's complicated, it's hard, or it's convoluted, it's not. You can do you can do squats one day a week, deadlifts another day a week. Uh, probably with the deadlifts, I would also do my bent rows. Maybe with the squats, you could do your benches or push presses or whatever you like to do. I mean, that's going to cover a lot right there, you know? Oh, yeah. It really isn't that complicated. You just have to consistently do it. You yeah. have to get to sleep, get eight hours of sleep a night. you got to eat enough food, and you got to train hard. Like, if you're uncomfortable, you're just getting warmed up. You're just starting to dig in, you know? Right. I mean, it's, that's why it's called growing pains, not growing comfort, you know. It's, it's meant to be uncomfortable. Right. You know, it's not meant to feel good, you know. People ask me all the time, doesn't that hurt? And I'm like, I certainly hope so. It better. I'm wasting my time. Right. You know. I mean, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You, you can't wait for the pain. You can't wait. Because, you know, if it doesn't hurt, it ain't doing nothing. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, you're not trying to get hurt. Well, of course not. If you get hurt, you can't train. If you can't train, you can't get stronger. Right. That's the first rule of strength training. Don't get hurt. Because then you can't train. Yeah. But aside from that, yeah, if your training hurts, if your training makes you go somewhere mentally you've never gone before, that's you're doing it right. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's half the, yeah. uh, that's half the battle is, um, is, is the, the mental side of it. I mean, any of the top... Anybody in any of the strength sports at the top will tell you that at least half the battle is just mentally being able to go in day in and day out and do that. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, it's it's interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this. Like we've had guys come to our strongman group that they could come in, or um, they could come into our group. I don't know, first, second training session. 
and they could do everything that took us years to get to. They just genetically could come in and do that. And it's like, wow, they're going to go far. But as soon as they hit something that was hard for them, they shut down. Right. Because they didn't know what it was like to struggle. Everything's always come easy to them. Yeah, yeah. You know? So there's a there's a mental aspect that you can't... I, I think genetics is a dumb word, or it's just dumb to talk about with training. I, I don't think there's any way anyone's going to come close to their genetics. You know, there's been plenty of examples of people that lifted more because they didn't know how much weight was on the bar. People have broken world records because the weight was misloaded wrong. It was way beyond anything they ever did. But they made themselves do it. They convinced themselves they could do it. But why is that? Because if that wasn't possible, or because that is possible, I should say, then we know that the mind can do a lot more than, than than what we think we can. Oh, yeah. Because really, you get, you get a... What we're doing in the gym is we're really resetting our parameters, what we believe we can do. Every time you go in, getting stronger is all about believing in yourself more, believing mm-hmm. in your abilities more. Because the, the body's been w- ready for a while. It's getting your head wrapped around that 500-pound squat, right. that 400-pound bench. You know? And I think... As a beginner, you got to realize it takes time. It takes time to get that mental toughness. You know, you, you stop getting scared about a, a record attempt. You're just trying to in your head think, okay, make sure brace, grab the bar hard, make it a part of you for that squat. Okay, screw your feet into the floor. Okay, chest up, big breath. You know, and you're just you're just going through all your cues. You don't have time to be scared anymore. Because you're checking off the check, you're going off the checklist and do this, this, and this. Right. By the time you're finished checking everything off your checklist, the lift is done. The judges give you the white light and they're telling you to put it back, and the lift's over. Mm-hmm. So you don't even have time to be nervous. You're too busy. You know. Yeah, I have a a, a crazy story um, like that. I, I, years ago, man, this had to have been man at least ten years ago. I went to a um, strongman uh show uh, jesse marunda was there if that tells you round about how long ago this was wow <clears throat> and um, wow. Uh, i think it may have been a qualifier for worlds or something and um uh, i wasn't in the competition i was just there at the show and they had a little booth set up and somebody was there with an inch dumbbell right and uh i think it was it was a woman and she was there and she said if you can pick up this inch dumbbell just just stand up with it a deadlift one-handed, um, then you won a hundred bucks. Time, I had no clue what an inch dumbbell was. <laughs> no, no idea. I didn't know what an inch dumbbell was. This was just this weird-looking dumbbell to me, right? And I went over and and picked it up, and all I mean, an inch away from lockout before I dropped it. First time picking it up, wasn't warmed up, um, nothing. Just just picked it up. And then um, I, I wasn't even really disappointed. I didn't know what the thing was. I was like, oh, well, I didn't get it, whatever. I, and I have a picture after that where I picked it up with two hands and put it on my shoulder like I was going to press it. But I didn't press it. But I, I have a picture. I threw it up there. And then later I find out what this thing is. And I have never, never been able to pick it up since. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I, I think it's just. Oh, that's crazy! I think it's just the mental aspect. I had no clue what it was. It was just some woman was like a hundred bucks if you do this, and I was like, hey, I'll do it. And <laughs> but 
I haven't even broke one off the floor. Yeah, it's just crazy, you know. Um, But I haven't even broke one off the floor uh, since that since that time. (laughs) Yeah, so it's just crazy, and it has to be mental, right? I mean, what other explanation could there be? So. Wow, that's that's awesome. (laughs) I can't imagine that. Wow, I don't know if I'd be happy or pissed. <laughs> yeah, I haven't decided either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, not to take away from you, that's awesome, because a hundred bucks, yeah, yeah, it's one thing. You know, you, you weigh food or money in front of a lifter, he'll lift it. You know, don't tell him what it is, he'll just lift it, right? <laughs> Jeez, that's awesome. I've never done anything that cool. No, no. I'm still trying to be that cool. Holy cow, that would be awesome. <laughs> Yeah, that itch stuff out, boy. What a bugger that is. I've got one, and it's just, what a bugger that is. That yeah. is a bugger. Yeah, they're brutal. <clears throat> um, oh, yeah. So, um, your your website, that's kamasutrabarbell.com, is that right? Well, that's on, it's on Facebook. Oh, it's a Facebook group? Okay. So, if anybody wants yeah, to... Yeah, um, heard I... If, if anybody like said, we do seminars we teach the old time lifts uh, but if somebody wants to just go there and check out our videos we have all kinds of tutorials on the old lifts yeah so if anybody out there listening is interested go check out um, Kama Sutra Barbell and Strongman Archaeology um, get a hold of, of James Fuller they, they'll come out and do um, seminars for you um and get you up to speed on these things if you're at all interested in it. Uh, there are not a lot of people with the knowledge of these lifts um, that James has. Uh, so I, I recommend if you're interested in it in any capacity, talk to this guy and um, get a hold of him because there there's not this is not one of these things where you can go to any gym and drop in and learn this stuff. I mean, there's a handful of people uh, available in the U.S. and he's one of them and, and probably the premier one at that. So, uh, Kama Sutra Barbell, Strongman Archaeology, James Fuller. Um, get in those groups and check it out if you're interested. Uh, do you have any parting words for us? Um, so maybe some, some old-time wisdom? Well, just, just don't let anyone tell you it's difficult. It's not. It's just hard work and being consistent with the hard work. Um, eat the food you need to eat. Get the sleep you need to get. And just keep at it. I mean, you're going to do this for the rest of your life anyway, so don't worry if you're not where you want to be in 12 weeks or 16 weeks. You know, unless it's a powerlifting meet or weightlifting meet, then yeah, do what you got to do to get ready. But it's all about learning about yourself. You've got to realize, you know, this is about learning about you and learning about what makes you tick, man. Yeah. So figure it out. Talk to people. Go to meets. I say compete meets. You know, I think competing in one meet, I don't, and I don't care. I've, I've recommended it to people before. They're like, well, James, I'm not not that kind of person. I'm like, well, yeah, I know you're not that kind of person. But when you send in your money and you put a circle or an X on the calendar of the day of the meet, you've now got a fire under your tail to get it done. All of a sudden, you're not skipping the workouts you maybe were going to skip. You're a little bit better about the eating. You're a little better about the sleeping. So then you go to the meet. You have fun. Who cares if you get first or 23rd? I don't care. And neither should you. Go in, do your best, but the main thing is do some recon. Go to that meet and listen to what the other lifters are saying. You're going to get more out of that experience than a, than a thousand videos on YouTube or a thousand videos on Instagram. 
because you're going to be listening by the people that actually do it. Anybody can make a YouTube video. Anybody can make an Instagram video. But people that compete are a different breed, aren't they? They're a totally oh, yeah. different type of person, you know? Yep. Yeah, real, So real. put yourself out there. Don't, don't just be... You know, don't just be on a video. Put yourself out there. Go to a meet, and if and if you're gonna spectate, well, why not spectate from the platform and go compete? Yeah. Yeah, that's solid advice. Um, definitely get some, you know, listen in on some people that are actually doing stuff and see what's going on. That's the best way to do it. You know, you learn best in yes. the trenches. So. Well, and there, I'm gonna talk to somebody differently who's competing with me than I am somebody who's in the audience spectating. Right. It's not being snobby, but I don't know what somebody in the spectator, I don't know how serious they are with their questions. But some young kid at the meet is competing, and he's like, hey, man, how do you do this? I know he's listening. I know he really wants to know. Right. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yep. Very cool. Very cool stuff. Um, definitely appreciate having you on here. Um, we'll do this again. Thank you. And uh, this is Thank you, yes. John the Viking Mauser with the Get Strong or Die podcast.